Welcome to the Rust Belt Rundown, brought to you by Rust Belt Recruiting. This podcast is designed to shine a light on the meaningful work being done in Northeast Ohio and the surrounding region. We will convene manufacturing executives and Northeast Ohio business leaders for candid discussions about their business, regional happenings, industry trends, entrepreneurship, and more. Now, let's get running on The Rundown. Welcome, everyone, to episode 52 of the Rust Belt Rundown, a production by Workforce LLC. I'm your host, Paul O'Connor, and on this episode, we are joined by Connie King, Workforce Development Director for the Precision Metal Forming Association. Connie, happy Friday. Welcome to the show. Happy Friday. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Me too. It's 9.01. I've had two cups of coffee. I am ready to ask you questions. Awesome, because I'm on about half a pot, so I'm ready to answer. (laughs) It's all good. (laughs) So let's jump in. Connie, people in your position are on the front lines when it comes to employment and job skilling. And so I want to get your opinion on the current state of the job market, depending on what you read on the day, it it says different things. And I know we're, we're actually due for a job report today, I'm pretty sure. But I wanted to get your opinion on the current state and then how it's directly affecting manufacturing. Right, right. Okay, yeah, that's good. Well, yeah, just like you said, depending on on what you read, right? And on the last one I was looking at is saying, you know, typically in in times of economic uncertainty, right? Like we see now, the economists show that the labor market, it's contradicting previous patterns, right? And they're they're saying mm-hmm. it's very robust and and so forth and and an upside for manufacturing, right? Is there's also the push for reshoring and and making an America's coming back and that's fantastic for our industries here uh, stateside or at least you know North America Mexico and so forth however you know manufacturing and then our subset metal forming right so we're even a more niche subset of manufacturing attracting and retaining employees is getting more and more challenging and and, and when you have high workforce churn and you know, we hear this from our members every day and it, it's due to a variety of things some of it goes down to the image of I can remember you know my parents and their words to me about going into this type of industry, right? Well, you know, it's not your father's manufacturing anymore. And we hear that a lot. And there's always been a push for four-year degrees over skills and so forth for my generation and my parents' generation. So it's been really, really hard for manufacturers in particular to attract and retain employees. And, and they're not just competing against their neighborhood anymore, right? Back in my father's day, I was watching the deer hunter with my with my 21-year-old. And you see that where they, they worked around the plant, they lived around the plant, everything was around the plant. And well, no, it's not just around the plant anymore, right? It's globally. You can attract employees from everywhere and from other industries. So you're competing against the Walmarts and the Aldis and the Amazons and so forth. So they're going to have to get a lot more creative in the way that they're attracting and retaining employees than they used to be a generation or two generations ago. So it is it is creating more of a challenge, particularly in the manufacturing industry. Yeah. And now to your point, I mean, there were entire towns built around one employer and now you don't even have to live in the state that you work in, you know? That's right. And that's more in demand, right? Since the pandemic, students, high school students, college students, they're like, well, I'm I'm going to work remote. Like that was never an option, never an option. Even when we were capable of doing it 10 plus years ago, uh, it just wasn't allowed by companies. And now it's one of the requirements for people. Obviously in manufacturing, that's not possible in a lot of positions, but it is something that we have to compete with, right? So, So the mindset and the culture does need to to change um, a little and convert to 
some other options. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see Gen Z, they're already starting, but come into the workplace because no generation knows more than them how (laughs) to navigate the internet and specifically making money off the internet. And so I think what companies and industries are not ready for is that entry level to secondary position that pays anywhere from forty to $65,000. You know, you're competing with someone who knows how to make money on Instagram and TikTok that could make 42 yep. doing what they want to do, working when they want to work, creating videos and content and, you know, whatever, versus do I want to go work for this company to make 48 and have to go into an office nine to five money? Like, why would I do that? Exactly. Again, the mindset and the culture shift needs Mm -hmm. to get more creative in how am I going to attract them and not just attract them, but retain them, right? You know, we hear a lot about what what they're calling runaways, right? People are coming in at eight in the morning, they go to lunch and they never come back. (laughs) You know, it's just like, and it's happening a lot. How are we going to retain people in our industry? They're not exposed to it in high schools and universities. People don't know what they're getting into. So so a lot of things are, are affecting. They're attracting and, and retaining the employees. There are challenges, but there's a lot of opportunity in, in getting creative and coming up with new methodologies that are outside the box of what they used to do. Yep, for sure. So let's talk through what is PMA's role as it relates to the manufacturing industry and what are the benefits of becoming a member? Wow, I mean, there's there's so many. PMA is a full service trade association that serves $137 billion metal forming industry. So we're across North America. We have some members in Mexico and also some, some in, in Europe, not a lot, but predominantly North America. A lot of people are like, well, what is metal forming, right? Well, if you bend metal in any form, you're you're probably one of our members or you should be, right? So you're rolling, spinning, fabricating, stamping, um, tool and die, you know, the things that are the foundation of creating most things made of metal. And we take that for granted. You know, when we sit in our car and there's a million pieces of metal in there, they're all made by people who do what we help support. So the benefits of that and joining PMA our tagline is network, learn, and lead. So we have multiple activities and resources and everything from training to events to advocacy in Washington. We lobby for our members. We support trying to get funding and so forth for their industry and for what they do to business surveys and industry reports. We have a magazine. We have affinity saving partners. I mean, most people join for a lot of different reasons. Workforce development is a huge reason why, again, help us attract and retain. So there's just a lot of variety of so many benefits. You know, we have a great, great membership. We have around 910 company members across North America. So when your company joins, you are automatically a member as an employee. So when by the time you multiply that out, it's about 90,000 people. Wow. Uh, around half of them are manufacturers in metal forming. The other half are suppliers to the industry. So they're like the equipment creators or the sheet metal suppliers and so forth. So um, we have a, a fantastic group and very active people. That's awesome. And tell us about your day-to-day responsibilities, right? Like what goes into being a workforce development director? Uh, well, my role in the department focuses on um, being you know, that valued go-to resource for our members when they're trying to help get training and development, uh, both incumbent and incoming and pipeline talent development, right? Where do I get the people from? We, you know, we provide on-site training in technical and soft skills and so forth. We have um, online training. We have a whole system of 840 different courses, some of them very specific 
to metal forming you won't find anywhere else that we created. Uh, seminars, workshops, events, uh, consulting, we create playbooks and toolkits for them. You know, so it's, it's part of a really big benefit for them to come to us and say, hey, I, I need help with getting, sometimes it's like my, my one line is getting people from the door to the floor as fast as you can, but skilled. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. so they don't hurt themselves. So OSHA doesn't show up at your door. So different things in that aspect. And it takes a lot of collaboration, but most importantly, it's listening, right? Listening to the members. What do you need? How can we help? We're here to help you. We're problem solvers. What's your challenge? Um, how do we create that customer experience for you? You know, having the emotional intelligence to understand where they're at and what they need um, and, to, and how we can help them. And if we can't, we find people who can. So for me, it's a passion. I, I really love watching the success of what the companies can obtain by utilizing our resources. And it's just, um, you know, I, I go in happy and I go home happy and my team is awesome and everyone I work with is fantastic. So I love it. That's great. You mentioned some of the courses that you guys developed. Let's talk about Metal Form EDU. Tell us a little bit more about what that is and then what role that has in training and upskilling workers. Right, right. So we created, uh, we had a whole series of training way back that started <laughs> to like date ourselves from VHS to DVD to 2023 and being online, right? And the, the huge advantage of the of our online training is is it's on demand and in the person's time. And you know, one of the biggest challenges that people have, particularly in manufacturing and in metal forming, is taking people off the line if that's where they're at to train. It's um, you need it, right? They have to do it, but it's also difficult to do, particularly in in, in a time of short, you know, short supply of skilled labor. So, you know, Metal for Me to You has the the ability to train, like again, like I said, you know, on demand on the employee's time. So it's a huge um, resource for them, and it's also very cost effective. You know, we have a variety of different ways you can purchase. The license, it's per person, I mean, we call it a license, and you have access to either just the metal forming skills or the whole entire library, which includes all kinds of manufacturing from CNC to aerospace to safety to um, down to soft skills, communication, conflict, team management, team building. So there's a, a huge resource there. And you can buy it by one month or you can buy it by a full year. And for a full year, you can train one employee for like $359, if you remember. It's a real deal. You know, you would pay more for that for one course anywhere else. <laughs> so, you know, in uh, our metal forming content, it was specifically designed by PMA. You can't find the depth of what we do really anywhere else. So it's quite unique to the industry. So it's a really great resource for for our members, but it is also available to non-members. Uh, there is a discount, right, for your member. So there's an advantage being a member. It's it's purchased by the company. So like individuals can't just sign up right now, but it is something that we are looking at. Got it. Okay. Speaking of training and upskilling, you spent eight years at Baldwin Wallace University in the professional development space. Talk to us about the similarities and differences that this type of work looks like in the academic setting versus a trade association. Right, right. Similarities, predominantly, it's very similar in in the ways of how I am running the department in terms of the coursework that can be offered and how we set things up and who the, the vendors and the things are that I am using. But I think where it varies is that, you know, universities, colleges, academic institutions are really foundationally set up to serve credit and degree seeking individuals. That's 
why they're there. It is their number one priority and rightfully so. That's what their business is. The business model of the association is on non-credit bearing and applicable, experiential, on-the-job training, skill-based. So it has a different focus. We also have a lot of things, like I said, that most academic institutions, other than maybe some of the technical schools, wouldn't be able to offer as far as the pure metal forming training, things like that. So I think the focus is in a university or an academic institution, non-credit bearing things, it's, it's a nice to have. It's a good resource for their community. But again, it's not their business structure, whereas it is for us and our members. It's one of the, the top things our members seek out when they come to an association is the workforce development. So there's just a little bit of a difference. You know, the biggest difference there, the similarities are training and developing employees. It's the same type of foundation. It's just a different purpose and a different goal. Makes sense. Thank you for listening to the Rust Belt Rundown. We'll be right back after a quick break. Welcome back to the Rust Belt Rundown. You mentioned it earlier in terms of our parents' generation, your generation, my generation, and our relation to the four-year degree. We have talked about this uh, at great length on this podcast um, across multiple different guests. And I'm curious to get your feedback. You know, by 2030, if four-year degrees don't pivot uh, and start to get closer, look, they're always going to be degree and credits, and you're going to be working towards that, of course. Mm -hmm. But it feels like it's lost its ROI because you're investing. And I say this the same way every time. If you just took away what college is and you just said four years is going to cost you 80000 and when you get out, we're going to give you a $45,000 job, no one would do that. No one would do it. But it's <laughs> yeah. so ingrained you know, in our society mm -hmm. and how we operate. I'm just curious to, to get your opinion on like, what does 2030 look like for, for traditional four-year? Yeah, I, that's your loaded question for me, considering yes. I had about 12 years working in, in academic institutions. <laughs> but prior to that, I was all corporate. So higher ed was a big shift for me, right? I was corporate training and development before I went into higher ed. And even though I did it in higher ed, it was within the institution's mindset of a four-year degree, right? So I have two degrees. Two of my three children are in college. The last one's graduating from high school. It is the mindset of of where we've been. And I think that it comes down from the high political forces. It comes down from the measurements by the states to the high schools on how many kids go to college. It's going to take a big shift to not necessarily... Um, only push that, right? There are other options. There is a place and a time for degrees, of course, right? There are a lot of skills that you would not want somebody without that, <laughs> without that doing something for you, right? Yeah. <laughs> but I think it is starting to shift. I, you know, the articles coming out, like you said, you see a lot of reports on the ROI of um, an academic degree. One of our members sent me an email. I don't know if you've seen it. It was a. Uh, it was called Tuition Madness, and it was based on the March Madness bracket. And they they had all of the universities in the bracket based on their tuition. Wow. And it went. It was whoa. It was like oh my gosh. Did Princeton win? <laughs> I think it was one of those. Yeah, it was from. I think the lowest was around for a four year degree was around one hundred and fifty thousand. And the no. highest was around 350,000. So when you look at that, okay, so that's where that's where your eye-opening, it was eye-opening to me, even having been in academic institutions to go, wow, 
how long is it going to take someone to pay that off? And that's where I think personally, you know, how do the institutions handle this down the line? If it's true that the culture shifts towards what is my ROI on other options? And I think, you know, a friend of mine was at a career um, fair for high school students and they said the high school students are walking up and saying, I, I want to work remote. I want to make, you know, $100,000 when I get out of high school. You know, it, it, is it unrealistic? Probably. But in, in fact, I'm sure it is because if I can find those, let me know. But yeah. <laughs> it's where their mind is going now, right? It's It's shifting. And I don't know how fast that's going to be. By 2030, it could be very different. Um, and I think it's going to be very valuable for the institutions to really start looking at what are they going to do to help bring that down, right? That we can't always have people bailing students out to pay off debt. It's, it's, a, it's a matter of, you know, if you go into it, you have to pay it, right? You buy a car, you, you got to pay it. You put a car to car debt, you got to pay it. But how are the institutions going to help bring that down somehow? And I think it's really coming to light. You know, it's, I think it's like every day you see a different article on that value. The institutions can't go away. We need them. And yep. degrees are in need. It's just, I think there's a lot of ways to evaluate what is it, what is the best for my, my high school student? Is it college or is it career? I have a very close colleague who does strength finders, you know, Gallup strength finders, right? And if we had those in high schools, right, where people were realizing, hey, I'm really, really good at this. And then going into systems like ONET and so forth and realizing like, where can I go with this? I mean, I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up when I'm 17. I didn't even know what I want to do now when I grow up, you know? (laughs) So it's tough. It's tough. And just saying, hey, you're going to go here and do this, whichever way that is, it's tough on, on someone that age. So, you know, yeah, I think it's going to be, it's going to be a, a very interesting culture shift over time. And both sides, you know, the workforce and the institutions are going to have to start reevaluating some of what they do and, and what's the best, best path for people. Yep. Um, so they don't go down rabbit holes they can't get out of down the line. Yeah. You mentioned earlier the concept that companies are going to have to start to be competitive, right? And, mm-hmm. and there's a couple of different lanes where they're going to have to do that flexibility on remote benefits. And I think another very important one is professional development and training. You know, there's a a old saying and quote that, you know, what happens if we uh, train our employees and they leave? Uh, You know, what happens if we don't and they stay, right? (laughs) Well, that's one of my favorite ones. I use that a lot. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, I shouldn't know who said that. I don't don't either. I know I should know, but I don't. (laughs) It always stuck with me because I was like, yeah, that's a great point. Oh, it's so true. Yeah. I want to get your opinion on just how important it is for companies and organizations, regardless of industry, to invest in their employees, right? And to start right. training them from day one. Yeah. What's what's your take on that? It, it is crucial. And Kinsey is one of my favorite resources for reports and so forth, right? And and it's really, they have one of the, um, some great reports on that, that it is one of the most crucial investments that organizations can make, particularly in the middle of talent scarcity, right? People are job jumping. You look at resumes that apply, particularly since the pandemic, it's like one year is two years. You know, people are jumping and they're getting more and more money each time they do it. And although money isn't necessarily one of the biggest things when you really dig down into why they leave, another one of my favorite phrases is sort of people don't leave their job, they leave their boss or their culture. A lot of times money is a nice carrot, but it isn't necessarily the reason why they're doing it. 
thoughts. And if they don't feel they see a path or a pattern or a growth, or even if it's lateral, they're going to move on. And I think one of the things I noticed when I was still at the university and that the shift after the pandemic, because there were so many, there was so much ability for people to jump from job to job, that the shift of personal development, like, oh, gee, I really need to get this for myself because I can't get this job without it, was kind of going away because people were just hiring. And what was shifting to was the companies were starting to spend money on what we would call like custom programming for their company, for their people internally to show them that there was growth and show them they were investing in them and to try to keep them by showing them that type of thing. And that shift was and still is happening. I have a lot of friends who are who are still in the university industry in professional development. And they're saying that what we would call open enrollment, right? We create a class, we throw it out there and anybody can join it, is really coming down because that was an individual person's decision to say, oh, I want to take team building or whatever it is because I really want to get better. And now it's really going towards the company choosing to develop their own people um, with, with, with these custom programs. So it's very crucial. And exactly like you said, if you don't train them, they're either going to do something that creates a problem for you and a liability, or they're going to move on to somewhere where they feel they're valued and they see light at the end of the tunnel for somewhere they want to go, whether it's just getting better at their job or whether it's moving up in the company. So it is really one of the most, it always lands in like the top five of reasons to invest in your people is talent development. Always. Like in everything you look at, it's always up there. Totally agree. Let's talk AI. I'm sure you've seen like ChatGBT and that's kind of taken over the world here a little Mm -hmm. bit, but I want to get your opinion on specifically in the manufacturing space or manufacturing roles and just the overall industry. How do we see automation continue to evolve? And I think we've been saying this for 30 years, right? AI is going to take everyone's jobs. It doesn't yet. I'm not saying that that won't ever happen, but it creates new jobs. And, and now we've we've shifted, at least what I've seen on, on my personal you know, social pages and what I've been reading is that AI is not going to replace people, but you're going to hire people who know how to use the AI efficiently, right? You're going to hire someone who, who is selling themselves as a chat GPT specialist. So that's a perfect example of like, well, we thought it was going to replace a marketer, but actually we're hiring a marketer who has a chat GPT specialist. You know what I mean? Something like that. So what's your Mm -hmm. take on that? Right. I agree a hundred percent. I think, you know, that, yes, you see a lot of different reports about, you know, how much of the jobs are going to be um, replaced, so to speak with this. But I think it's more about what are the predictable activities that people do is what they replace, right? Repetitive things that are predictable. That's where, even though it's, it's intelligence, it still has artificial in front of it, right? So (laughs) there are a lot of things that the human mind can do that it cannot. And so, yes, it will create other positions. And, and that's where the high schools and the universities and the skill professionals such as myself, you know, start shifting their training and their thought process towards what predictable activities do the jobs do? They probably won't be there anymore down the line. You know, maybe there's 60% of them now, it's going to be who knows in the future. And we start focusing on what are those human mind parts of what those AI pieces will be doing that we need to train people in how to do, just like you said. You know, my oldest uh, is in aerospace engineering um, at Cincinnati and his um, certificates are in AI. That's where he's focusing, right? Yep. Everything he talks about is AI. A lot of it, I don't even understand. 
way over my head. But that's where the college kids are looking, right? Exactly like you're saying is, I I do want to go into this field, but I want this behind me. And that's the AR certificates, right? Which are the real hard applicable ones where they've done experiential things to earn rather than just, oh, I, I got a theory in this and so forth. So we're going to be seeing a lot more of that. And it is a shift where, you know, a lot of the universities and the academic institutions are already going that way. And that's where I think a lot of the skilled labor things can also start going so that your incumbent workers train them on how to do some of that stuff so that they may, yes, right now they're doing that predictable line type of stuff. But if you start moving them into things where the AI is, they need to help the AI do what it's doing, they still have a job. They're just reskilling in another area. And that way they don't lose their jobs. They just get another one and, and move into another platform down the line. So there's a lot of opportunity a lot of opportunity. I know people are scared it's going to replace stuff, but I think there's more opportunity that it's going to create newer and different skills. It's great. It's a great asset. Well, Connie, this was great. We're going to get you out of here on this last question, sometimes the hardest question. It's your your opportunity to highlight a restaurant in Cleveland, your go-to, <laughs> your go-to meal. It could be breakfast, lunch, dinner, snack, whatever you want, but where are you eating nowadays in Cleveland? Oh, wow. That's um that's a good one. You're right because I I live outside the city, so it's, you know, I live south of Cleveland. So down where where I am. I think an awesome breakfast place is Kelly's Cafe. It's a crepe shop in Brunswick. It's fantastic. Really good. Always busy. So it's tough to get into, but it's awesome. Downtown, I know it's been around for a long time, but I always love to go to Town Hall. It's just always kind of a fun atmosphere and you know the food is good and it's healthy spin and great atmosphere. So it's one of my favorites when I do go downtown to stop in there. Nice. Love it. Where can, for all the listeners that want to connect with you, where can they find you? Well, let's see. I am on LinkedIn. Um, I don't remember what my my moniker is. Also at uh, pma.org is our website. And if you go to the workforce tab at PNA, pma.org, you can see all the things that we do. My email is thking at pma.org. So you can uh, get a hold of me there or you can always call our office at 216-901-8800. But yeah, just Google us, Google Precision Metal Forming, put in my name and I'm sure we'll pop up somewhere and, and you'll be able to find us. So. Um, Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. It's great to be here. Awesome. Thank you so much, Connie. We appreciate it. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Rust Belt Rundown. Make sure you check us out at rustbeltrecruiting.com. The Rust Belt Rundown is available wherever you listen to your podcasts. Make sure to hit that subscribe button and click on five stars if you enjoyed this episode. See you next time.